Hey, you guys, this is Rob Liefeld welcoming you to another episode of Rob Observations. Thank you, as always, for joining me. Uh, what, what a crazy uh, three months this has been. This is, uh, I think, around my, my, my 30th uh, episode sharing comic book stories, recollections, comic book history with you guys. And I cannot even begin to let you know how much I appreciate when you take these uh, rides with me, these journeys. Um, thank you for, for your support and, and, and for, for, for tuning in, for, for listening to my, uh, stories about comic books that I love, that I experienced, that I made all of it. It's, it's so, uh, really, really satisfying, uh, to share this with you guys. I, I love hearing from you guys, getting your feedback. It's so important that, you know, when I do this show, I try and stick to the actual comic book history that happened. I will, as often as I can, bring the receipts, the uh, the, the letters, uh, the, the statements, the faxes, the notifications, uh, especially if it was something that I was involved with in any way. And uh, along those lines, we are going to finish up today discussing the Fighting American Saga. And Fighting American, the great thing about sharing this, this this really encapsulates so much of what I set out to do with this podcast, which is you're, you're going to get a little history. And if you learn a little more about Joe Simon and Jack Kirby at the end of this, then I kind of fulfilled my purpose. I, I did what I set out to do because so much of comics history is either being lost or is not categorized or cataloged in the proper manner. So much of what you have encountered is agenda filled. And you're like, what, what are you doing, Rob? You're, you're telling us stories uh, about agendas. Well, when I recount um, Chris Claremont and Frank Miller's uh, groundbreaking Wolverine miniseries, and I tie you uh, to the fact that it was hugely influ- influenced by Shogun and, uh, and, and other works at that time, I'm just sharing with you uh, stuff that is unfortunately lost to history that maybe they're not going to go out and tell you. And they're not going to, maybe you weren't around in 1980 and didn't understand what a cultural phenomenon Shogun was and how many hundreds of millions of eyeballs that had attracted worldwide and how it impacted the culture and why it was such a natural to pivot somebody like Logan into that story. Uh, furthermore, if I'm involved in something, as I, again, I have shown you, read to you letters whenever I'm involved or I am putting people in the room, uh, in this case, there are so many people in the room uh, to place, to name, to to to, to uh, recount their stories beyond just my own, and I'll continue to do that today. Joe Simon and Jack Kirby uh, created two hugely popular patriotic characters, one much more so than the other because Captain America became ensconced in Marvel and helped birth the Marvel Age, what we know as the, as the Marvel Age of comics. And how that came about was after Simon and Kirby created Captain America, not for Marvel, uh, back in 19, you know, World War II, 1944, 45, this incredible era that, that, that birthed this amazing character that eventually went on to become the most patriotic character. Again, Captain America was immediately challenged by another publisher who had a patriotic character called The Shield. And uh, and and be- because Cap's original three-tipped, you know, shield was really uh, uh, 
part of the shield, the character of the shield's chest emblem. So they had to change it into a circular shield. Funny enough, the entire uh, subject of a shield is what is going to become part of uh, some of the misreporting uh, that goes on in regards to my Fighting American Adventures and what we took to get it uh, into your hands. So that'll be fun to cover because so much um, of, the, of the feedback has been uh, the only thing that you heard about my Fighting American and the fight, the fight to get it published and to get beyond this lawsuit that Marvel uh, issued uh, trying to stop publication of My Fighting American. So many people uh, heard the spin, the aftermath, as, as Marvel tried to uh, to, to position uh, their loss as some sort of victory when it was clearly just ir irrevocably, 100%, um, they got their ass handed to them. That, that They lost that uh, lawsuit that they initiated. And I am getting way ahead of myself, although if you... We're around for part one, and I highly recommend you listen to part one. You saw that we ended it with Marvel um, moving to actually file a lawsuit against me, uh, uh, looking first for a temporary restraining order to keep Fighting American from reaching uh, your hands, and and then and then uh, later on building that out further when that temporary restraining restraining order didn't go their way. The subject is Fighting American. He is the second patriotic character. Beyond Captain America. Captain America, who again, would become part of the Marvel Universe. Fighting American is created 10 years prior to Captain America joining the Marvel Universe. Okay? So, maybe Fighting American joins the Marvel Universe and you've rewritten history. But what if, while what ifs are fun, and I love to, you know, entertain them myself. This, we're going to stick to the facts. Fighting American was created by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby, the two gentlemen who brought you Captain America and Bucky and all of their original adventures, they set out to create their own uh, patriotic character that they would own 100% uh, in the 50s. And it was more of a reaction to all of the Russian uh, in, uh, the, the, the Russian communist activity that was popping up in America at the time. So the, the, the focus had shifted away from Nazis because World War II was long over, and now it was uh, Marxism and, and the Russians and communism and uh, and they shifted the the focus of the of the series after the initial two issues and made it more lighthearted and uh, comedic. But again, Jack Kirby, the powerful artistic force that has fueled so many of our comic book dreams, he has uh, he is drawing Fighting American straight up. It is as if he is drawing uh, Captain America or the Fantastic Four. He is drawing that book straight. Uh, the characters have some funny names and some of the dialogue is funny, but the drawings and the execution is straight. It's great Kirby artwork. If at the end of this, you end up seeking up Joe Simon and Jack Kirby's amazing Fighting American uh, comic books, then again, I, am, I, I will be so thrilled because those comics should be seen. That character should be a character that is on your radar. Uh, he could come roaring back at any time, bigger than ever. And he is so, uh, he and his sidekick, Speed Boy, a clear echo, and we've discussed echoes here before. Squadron Supreme is an echo of the Justice League. Imperial Guard is an absolute echo of the Legion of Superheroes. Um, Alex Ross uh, introduced a character in Kingdom Come. I, I think he's Gog or Magog. Forgive me, I'm not, I'm not up on my Kingdom Come, but he is an echo of my own cable. Okay, uh, it meant to be an echo, a statement, a, a, a kind of a scorning statement. But echoes are everywhere. Marvel does them. DC does them. And uh, in, in this case, 
uh, Fighting American and Speed Boy are very similar in every possible way to Captain America. But at no time did Fighting American have a shield. He did not wield a shield. He never held up a shield that would uh, take away gunfire, um, protect him or Speed Boy. Uh, he certainly did not throw it. And it certainly did not have missiles firing out of it as it would under my direction during my era publishing Fighting American. Again, kind of jumping ahead, uh, but it, it's funny how the shields and, 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 and the lack of a shield it was really the only defining uh, element that would separate Fighting American and Captain America. Both wore patriotic emblems, stars, stripes, uh, all of the what you would call patriotic tropes. Fighting American had on display, and Speed Boy looked just like just like Bucky. I mean, there's there's no denying it. You'll go, oh, that's Bucky, um, patriotic guy, and 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 uh, younger male sidekick. So, uh, I had uh, taken it upon myself, following Heroes Reborn, to pursue uh, another patriotic character. My uh, initial uh, uh, talks with Joe Simon uh, were not uh, fruitful in that I did not obtain the license. And then I went out to set, set up my own patriotic character. And that, uh, was, uh, opposed by Mr. Joe Simon. We then re-engaged talks and I was able to, uh, license from the Jack Kirby estate who was still, um, uh, carried on by Roz Kirby, his, his, his widow at the time, the lovely Roz Kirby and Joe Simon himself licensed me their shared, uh, license for the fighting Americans. So I set about to uh, publish my version of their Fighting American. And I was uh, taking up from one single illustration a cover to Joe Simon's The Comic Book Makers, where he did, in fact, depict Fighting American with a shield. That had been published six years prior in 1990. It's a nice, oversized, um, soft cover book that details kind of comic books from Joe Simon's perspective in the 40s and 50s and 60s. And on the cover, Fighting American has a shield. And, and I, 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 I'm, I'm going to be honest, I probably only bought it because, wow, this is a Joe Simon drawing of Fighting American and Speed Boy where Fighting American has a shield. And the shield has the eagle on it instead of the star. It's a stylistic eagle that Fighting American displays. So I took that as the initiative of, well, here's a publication by the originator, the creator of Fighting American, featuring a shield. So my fighting American had a shield among other things. But the bottom line is I read to you these beautiful letters from the Marvel lawyers who were very bothered by the fact in their own sentences that I was pursuing a continuation of a patriotic character along the lines of Captain America. Well, of course I was, I told you, uh, I had a passion now drawing, uh, patriotic characters, red, white, and blue, uh, you know, stripe, uh, stars and stripes. It's exciting. The color schemes are very bold. They're exciting. They pop off the page. I might've mentioned earlier on when I was doing uh, heroes reborn and one of my heroes reborn recollections that while I was drawing Captain America, I was speaking to the, um, amazing Dan Jurgens, he of Superman. And at the time, Marvel versus DC, he drew a mini series. Uh, his, he drew a portion of a mini series called Marvel versus DC. You guys should check it out. He did a bang up job. It's beautiful. Um, just like everything that Dan illustrates, he's a wonderful, amazing illustrator talent who has uh, entertained me entertained me my entire career. He uh, picked up on a book called Warlord as a kid, and there was he did not skip a beat. And then Dan Jurgens would later go on to create Booster Gold for all of us. 
um, and 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 then of course uh, do his tremendous run on Superman that is that is historic, that is uh, a bestseller, that was groundbreaking. And Dan was drawing Marvel versus DC, and he had asked me what I was drawing, and I said, "Oh, I'm drawing my my Captain America issues." And he goes, "Rob, isn't he great to draw?" And this is just artist to artist. He goes, D "Don't you like you just feel something special when you're drawing him?" Because Dan had not drawn Captain America prior to this, so I was like, "Yeah, Dan, it's amazing." These patriotic characters, especially if you can get a patriotic character that's in the vein of a Joe Simon or Jack Kirby touched, influenced character. You're, you're going to feel it. it. It's amazing. The, the, those characters, they're fun to draw. And again, when the colors get added on them, uh, it, it's, just, it's just so fun to look at and to behold and to look at how all the colors play off their primary patriotic colors. So literally, I had a passion for this. I wanted to continue this. I wasn't done uh, with my... In my in, creatively, I wasn't done with a patriotic character. And how much, how much fun is it to pivot from one... Joe Simon, Jack Kirby character, Captain America, no matter how much more famous he was, to Fighting American, their other lesser-known uh, patriotic character that they published in the 50s. Now, if I have failed to mention so far, let me get to it now, Marvel republished, packaged for the first time in a hardcover edition, a handsome dust jacket. It's so pretty. I have a couple of them. Uh, Fighting American, all the issues collected in 1989. It says Marvel Comics on the cover of this hardcover, okay? And yes, I'm smiling because this is giving me this the biggest kick to relive this. Okay, so it's on the spine, it's on the cover, it's on the back cover, it's on the inside. Marvel, Marvel, Marvel. They got the license to reprint this material and they put it out in this amazing edition. So, and these were doing great. Marvel was, this was when they were getting their feet, um, you know, their toes into the trade and the hardcover uh, collection business. This is that time, 88, 89. It's like, wow, there's a book market. And so Fighting American was a great entrance for the an entry uh, for them. And, and I'm going to tell you, I, I bought it on my first trip to New York to go visit the Marvel offices. So this thing resonated with me. Well, as I pointed out, between the legal letters from Marvel threatening me, this then becomes a last-minute notification by Marvel uh, in the summer of 1997 via a fax machine that informed us that Marvel was seeking a temporary restraining order preventing us from going to press with our book, which was at the press. This book was about to go. They timed this very carefully. Our Fighting American book is ready to go. My Fighting American has a shield in every panel. He is punching people with it. He is deflecting fire. He is slicing. He is dicing. At no time is he throwing his shield, okay? He has a sidekick, which is a uh, female cyborg named Spice, okay? We don't have Speed Boy in this book yet, but we have Spice, and they are battling a Russian menace called the Iron Cross. Very fun, very fun uh, comic to do. Uh, the, 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 the book was, was colored, it was ready to go, and we get this notification by Marvel seeking uh, to temporarily restrain our publication of this. They were doing this in a court in New York City, in Manhattan, the following day, which was a Friday. We got this on a Thursday evening because they legally had to give us 12 hours notification, and they gave it right on the nose, 12 hours notification. My partner in Awesome Comics at the time, uh, John Hyde, a very well-established businessman, 
with several different labels, a music label. He had an entire uh, film catalog. Among them was Flight of the Navigator um, and, and like, like, like 12 other movies you absolutely saw in the 80s and 90s. And then he had his, uh, his music label, his video game label, and he absorbed me into his company as part of his comic book division that he was going to start. And we, we had a great, great set up there in Century City overlooking the beautiful Century City Plaza. And uh, uh, myself, Jeff Loeb, Eric Stevenson, Matt Hawkins, my wife, Brett Evans, uh, John Hyde, his staff, his counsel, a woman named Ann Jacobus, we all received this. John, in the most baller of baller moves, calls up his attorneys in New York, because he has great connections, said, I need you to handle this. Can you do this? Can you represent me tomorrow morning in, in this courtroom against Marvel, who's seeking to shut our launch book down? Matt Hawkins uh, works with us over the next few hours prior to his red eye that he's going to catch which is going to land him in New York City the next morning where he is going to meet up with this council and they are going to be sitting across from Marvel when they seek to meet with the judge and get this restraining order. I, in the previous recollection of this, told you that we Xeroxed, which we did, pages from Fighting American, because if you're doing Fighting American, as I was drawing Fighting American Issue 2 in my office, I had this Marvel 1989 hardcover that I cherish so much. I, I love this thing. And, and again, if you can find these in any form, this is great work by Simon and Kirby. It's, it's fantastic. So Matt Hawkins, who I had contacted prior to my first recollection, uh, he uh, got back to me confirming everything that I'm telling you again. Again, I, I want to put people in the room. These aren't just mumbo jumbo stories. These are, these are recollections of how things went down with the people who were there. Matt Hawkins has been successfully navigating Top Cow for my former partner and amazing talent and peer, fellow peer, Mark Solbestri. Matt Hawkins has worked at Top Cow for almost 22 years. Matt Hawkins has no allegiance to me and has known no allegiance to me for 22 years. We had some great times together, but he is on his own. He has his own publications. He writes his own comic books, and he runs Top Cow for Mark Silvestri. If he wanted to oppose or give an alternate version of this, it is well within his means to do so. He did not. He confirmed everything that I have shared with you, except he added one extra thing. He said, Rob, you handed me the hardcover to take with me on the overnight to New York City, and that is what we handed to the judge in the courtroom. On top of all the copies, we had the physical Marvel trade paperback, I mean, uh, Marvel hardcover. And uh, here's the deal. I, I, I mentioned to you last time that they, they being Marvel's counsel who was seeking the temporary restraining order, on the complaint, the complaint that they were going to file to seek their TRO, temporary restraining order, listed me as the creator of Fighting American. Again, let's go through this. They are going to present to the, to the, to the judge in this courtroom. They're going to present a picture of Captain America that I drew. They're going to present a picture of Fighting American that I drew. They're going to say, look at this guy stealing from us. He has made this mock character called Fighting American, and we want you to shut this down and grant us our request, judge. Okay, the judge, unless he has all the history of comic books as someone like myself or someone at Marvel does, he is not going to know the forest for the trees here. And he's going to go, oh my gosh, look at this crook stealing, ripping off Marvel's Captain America. How dare he? 
So that was a critical error. I don't know why they did that. I, I, I can only assume it was to get the knockout punch as fast as possible because once the judge rules and says, I give you, I grant you your temporary restraining order, ask somebody with a restraining order how that feels, whether it's can't publish something or can't be around someone. It goes into effect immediately. Our books at the printer would have stopped and been set to the side not to be able to be distributed. And we would then have to go and file and unwind and get something on the date and argue our case. Now, ultimately, this is a form of what did happen, except it was much accelerated. And the fact that we stopped their temporary restraining order by providing the materials that completely and 100% contradicted their claim by showing them, Judge, not only did Rob Liefeld not create Fighting American, Fighting American was created by the same two gentlemen who created Captain America and, in fact... Marvel Comics published this beautiful recollection of the work. So if anyone should have knowledge, working knowledge, of Fighting American, it is Marvel Comics who published it, not Rob Liefeld, who is about to publish it. They held the license. They no longer have the license. The license is now in the possession of Rob Liefeld from the licensee of Joe Simon in the Jack Kirby estate. Okay, so so Matt Hawkins shows up with the attorney, and, and I love... We were waiting. Obviously, we're not in the courtroom. There are no cell phones. Once this is done, they had to run to a car phone, pay phone, business phone. It was when they got back to the lawyer's office and the lawyer got us on a speakerphone. And that Friday morning, we were all gathered around the phone for the news. It could have, it could have completely gone sideways. And the judge would have, would have just been like, yeah, this 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 looks like an inf infringement of, of, of your uh, rights, Marvel Comics. So I'm going to actually uh, grant this stay. What the judge did, according to Matt Hawkins, is say, okay, well, we have some misdirection here, and clearly, Marvel, you are not on the up and up with this filing. The judge was on to them immediately and said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to kick this uh, to, to a hearing based on Marvel's immediate position that they want to um, argue and go to trial and, and, and um, seek a a longer form of trying to stop me. They don't take the temporary restraining order being stopped lightly. They then say, we move to file a suit against this. So Marvel did not get their temporary restraining order, but it threw us into an immediate hearing uh, where we had to now defend our right to do this. Marvel did, in fact, sue me. And they filed to uh, stop publication. They didn't, so here's the two things they wanted. So we're just so we're clear. They did not want my Fighting American to see print. We both know that Fighting American did see print. I've uploaded pictures. You've all read the comics. Those of you who are aware of this, who are fans of myself, Jeff Loeb, Stephen Platt, Ian Churchill, Ed McGinnis, all the people who would produce, Jim Starlin, who would produce this wonderful Fighting American body of work. You know that we punched through. We won. We got what we needed to do. They then sought to strike Fighting American of the shield, arguing he had never, ever had a shield before. Rob Liefeld is only giving Fighting American a shield to cause more confusion with Captain America. And we believe that he should be, uh, if, if, if he does in fact get published, we would like for him not to be published. But if in fact he does get published, we want him without a shield. So this is a uh, two-pronged uh, two attack by Marvel who I just wish they would have let me do the comic book. I don't understand um, any harm that we were doing them at that at that time. Again, I, I, I am speaking of Echoes. They did a Squadron Supreme, who you guys know I have mentioned uh, being my first encounter with Marvel Comics in Avengers 145 through 149, um, a multi 
part, maybe it's 144, uh, episode which was sprawling and introduced George Perez on the Avengers and gave a further build out of this um, Justice League Echo. There are echoes of Green Arrow. They have Golden Archer. Um, you know, that the, there is there is the Atom. They have Tom Thumb. There is Hawkman. They have Captain Eagle. Okay. Um, Dr. Spectrum was Green Lantern. These were all obvious to anyone with a pair of eyes who were looking at these comics. These were DC Comics echoes. The Imperial Guard is actually created by one of the former Legion of Superheroes artists. Marvel um, absolutely danced on this ballroom more than once often because Squadron Supreme was given their own 12-issue maxi-series in the summer of 85-86, um, which they then added on characters that had not had Echoes. They gave a Nuclear Man uh, counterpart to Firestorm, who was a nuclear man at DC Comics. Uh, they doubled down. They went hard. They loved their Echoes. But now Rob Liefeld, with his awesome entertainment, is not doing an Echo. He's actually doing an established patriotic character that, in fact, creates an Echo of Captain America, given that it was created by both of the Captain America creators. And for whatever reason, that hair up their ass was severe, and it was causing a hell of an itch and some discomfort, and they decided to act on it. We thwarted the immediate temporary restraining order and got fast-tracked because this would be decided by Labor Day. So we lost a couple months in the summer of giving you the Fighting American, but we did indeed move as fast as we possibly could to um, get these books out. We had good talent lined up doing them. Myself, Stephen Platt, Ed McGinnis was on the way, Jeff Loeb, uh, Jim Starlin, Ian Churchill on some great covers. I mean, we had terrific talent assembled on Fighting American. And so winning this became now the most important thing to me because I'm like, I, I just, on every level, I, I cannot even believe this is being challenged. Now, would I have loved for that judge that day to say, uh, yeah, I'm throwing this out and, and we're moving forward. Again, Marvel then moved to argue and say, we want to move forward on a more pressing, urgent lawsuit uh, given that you're not going to grant us this temporary restraining order, we want to continue to play the pause button and prevent them from moving forward and kick this down the road to a full-blown legal challenge. So, we were engaged. John Hyde wanted to win just as bad as we wanted to win. So, here we go. We're off to the races. I'm not going to take a whole lot of your time because, as I said, you already know that this book ended up in your hands. We did multiple years of Fighting American as long as the original license lasted. Uh, this license was not cheap. Joe Simon was a good businessman. He drove a good bargain. The exorbitant price that he originally asked was driven down somewhat, but it was still a, a, an expensive deal. So at no time was I publishing Fighting American for free. It was a book that came with a cost and we paid out on it. And after Awesome uh, shut down its primary publishing schedule in 1998, I opted to only uh, fulfill the remaining contract with Joe Simon. And again, like with Captain America, I feel like I got it out of my blood. We did, I mean, we did probably 12, 12 issues, a couple of them double-sized. They're fantastic. They're amazing. So many of you have asked me if they're collected in a, uh, in, a, in a hardcover edition. I have been trying to make that happen. I believe that someday you will hold that. I believe we're probably closer now than ever, but time will tell. There is nothing on the table to announce at this time other than cordial talks with interested parties. So that, that it would be great to get this all collected in one giant, beautiful hardcover. Um, they can't, just in case you're wondering, see the, the, the Kirby and the Simon Estate, uh, they own Fighting American. They don't own our Fighting American. Those stories are mine and they can't reprint them without 
my involvement, just like I can't print them without their approval. So it's it's a it's a joint approval situation. The Simons are lovely people. Uh, Joe Winnell passed away in 2011. He is survived by uh, Jim Simon and Jim Simon's grandson, who I have spoken to and met with and saw as early as last New York Comic Con. A sweet kid, uh, really really nice to 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 continue to have um, uh, interaction with the Simon family. Also on the Kirby side, I speak to the extended members of that family, Jeremy Kirby, the others. They are the sweetest uh, kids, all of them, all of these. They're not, I mean, <laughs> some of them are in their four, late 40s and are, are, are close to my age, but I, they're kids. They are their kids, their, their offspring, their siblings, their legacy. So we decided that if we're going to fight this, we're going to fight this um, whole hog. And this is what I will tell you. I have never been more proud of the people that I work with and Eric Stevenson and Matt Hawkins. And I'm going to tell you the MVP of this legal battle you should know is Joseph Loeb III, otherwise known as Jeff Loeb of Dark Victory, of The Long Halloween, of Hush, of uh, Red Hulk, of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Daredevil on Netflix, all of it. Jeff Loeb stepped up. He felt, as I did, that this was ridiculous. And we didn't want to just go in soft. We wanted to go in in the biggest, hardest possible manner to obtain the freedom that we felt we deserved when it comes comes to publishing Fighting American, we did not want to compromise our vision. We did not want to we did not want to redraw pages. We did not. I mean, I, I would have had to have redrawn almost every single page if that shield had been taken out of his hands. So twofold: one, we don't want Rob to publish this Fighting American. They didn't like that I had taken the yellow out of the costume, which you know I guess adding more white uh, made him resemble Captain America more, who's mostly blue. It just didn't make sense. Again, it was very personal. Um, from Marvel's point of view. I didn't take it personally. It wasn't an emotionally uh, upsetting thing. It was like, this is a business challenge. This is another hurdle. This is a period in my career where, again, as Joe King from Marvel Comics, as he was exiting Marvel, uh, reminded me on Heroes Reborn, you are seen as the weaker party now, um, that you are taking on water and people are going to take shots at you. And I felt like this was Marvel really uh, dealing me uh, a, a crucial blow and trying to also damage fighting American pu publicity wise by saying this is a cheap ripoff of Captain America. Marvel did not want to educate you and tell you that there was a handsome history of Simon and Kirby uh, and, and this fighting American character and irresponsible outlets like the Wizard magazine were also fueling that flame that fighting American was somehow a ripoff of Captain America. They, they were not interested in educating you and telling you about Joe Simon and Jack Kirby's illustrious history and work on this character. Again, anything Jack Kirby drew, much less anything Jack Kirby drew that is this good 10 years before launching the Marvel Universe is something that you should see. It should be under the microscope. It, it should be um, absorbed, examined. It's beautiful work. Again, if you and I were sitting there, uh, people who have seen me <laughs> get excited about comics art, yeah, good luck. I will overwhelm you with the page turns, with the finger points showing you where this particular line has its most impact. I mean, I love this stuff. I get obsessed over this stuff. This that there is a nine-page battle se fight sequence with Fighting America knocking out the bad guys. That is as good as any sequence Jack ever did with Captain America. In fact, there is a Captain America one that is in that is influenced. He went on to repeat it with the Fighting American. That fight sequence take took place first. He got there first with Fighting American with this amazing sequence, and then looked to repeat it uh, when he did fighting when he did Captain America later in the 60s. Again, the 50s. 
1954 is Fighting American in his debut. So Marvel is seeking to stop us from doing this. The fan magazines are fueling that I am ripping off Marvel, which is not true. That is in an effort to diminish me to carry Marvel's water. Wizard was carrying every bucket of water Marvel would give them at the time. Wizard was not run by like established professionals. It was born out of a comic store and the enthusiasm that the Seamus family had for comic books. But once it started making money, Garib and his family moved further away and they left it in the hands of a bunch of irresponsible kids who couldn't get breaks as writers and artists in comics. This is a fact. Recently, just as an addendum, DC Comics cratered. DC Comics in the modern world of 2020 has cratered. Their sales have cratered. Their market share has cratered. They have been losing uh, sometimes by 15 percentage points to Marvel. And the entire time, this five-year period, they allowed all of these fired wizard editors who drove wizard into the ground in the mid-2000s. They, 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 one after the other, they caught the ear of these DC Comics, AT&T, whatever, Warner Brothers people, and they got one, two, three in the door. There was one. Honestly, I, I, I won't say his name, but one of the... Yeah, well, his name's Pat. Pat uh, was one of the biggest anti-Liefeld inflamers at Wizard. And a couple of years back, during the night, during the DC 52, I am walking the floor of San Diego. Uh, I am having the best time. I got my kids with me. We've got our toys. we got our stuff. And I see Pat who is very tall, uh, youngish, 30-ish now, you know, no longer the, the 20-something brat face that is, uh, that is manipulating Wizard Magazine, is standing, directing people in and out of Jeff Johns' line. He is the guardian of the line for Jeff Johns at the giant DC booth. And I stopped, because I couldn't resist. And I stopped in front of him, I said, look at you, is this, is this, is this what you're doing now? So, so you manage lines? on signings for DC Comics. Wow! And you used to ruin the entire industry running the controls at Wizard Magazine. It was fun. It was snarky. I didn't mind taking that shot. They had done their best to damage me on personal levels, on business levels. And here's this guy, and he smirked at me. because What's he going to say? He is, in fact, uh, controlling the velvet rope that gets you to Jeff Johns at the signing. And Jeff just looked at me... Jeff Johns, who has known me a long time, just shook his head like smiling and going, you Rob, like, because Jeff is just laughing. I'm also working at DC at this time. I'm actually producing Deathstroke that summer. So it was funny that Mr. Pat went from operating Wizard, crashing it into the ground, um, along with his good friends, Brian and Jim, and uh, I think a guy named Mike. These clowns were a bunch of kids who wanted to... um, uh, take shots at character at, at characters they didn't like, at creators they didn't like, and once they got the helm and Wizard became this snarky machine, uh, it it started it immediately went sideways, and and it should be no shock to you that it eventually cratered and went out of business. And the one thing that I take great pleasure in, as I've reminded people here before, and I do this really, when you are in this business and you take on all comers, I have seen the people at the controls of these magazines. Uh, that they, they, they disappear, they vanish, they wield this immediate, they wield this temporary power, and it's irresponsible what they do, and then eventually to the point that they don't have power to wield because their seat is no longer there because that building closed, that publication closed, that outlet no longer exists. They won't admit to the lengths with which they helped destroy it, but that's how things go. 
Similarly, at Marvel, I have been uh, interacted with seven editors-in-chief. One of the business guys actually challenged me on that. I went to 1987 while Jim Shooter was still editor and showed that I was working when he was an editor there. So that absolutely uh, uh, reinforced that I've been doing this a while. Seven editors-in-chief. Now, there's other guys who can go, Rob, I've been through eight. I've been through nine. Yes, you have. We have seen a lot. We have been around the block. Um, if you've been working in comics in the 2000s, you've had three editors-in-chief at Marvel. You've had uh, Joe Q, you've had Axel Alonso, and now you have C.B. Cebulski. You know, you go back to 1987, you can add another four to that list. Okay, guys? So, so, so this is the great thing about longevity is you get to watch some people who do bad things kind of get their comeuppance. And the Wizard magazine uh, manipulated uh, many times for their own personal investments or whatever the store had bought. All of those stories are true. They would get artists in on visas that they would control. Like, hey, we'll support your visa if you're from Canada. If you're from a, I mean, again, Canada is the closest. London, any you have to have a sponsor. And um, I've done that with certain talents. I've never asked anything special of them. Wizard would, in fact, get artists on visas and then start doing the dance with them, attempting to make them something maybe more than they are, um, manipulate prices, manipulate heat. This is the kind of stuff they did, and this is where I'm going to get off the bus about Wizard at this time, only to reinforce that their, their reporting on Fighting American was so irresponsible that it, it, it was putting forth lies rather than the truth, right down to the final judgment. Joseph Loeb stepped up to the plate, and when I say stepped up to the plate, the, d the day of the big hearing, we're going to get one shot at this. We're going to get one shot to say that Fighting American is, in fact, an established icon by the creators of Captain America, that Marvel published this prior, that this license since went to DC in the early 90s and now has found its way with myself. DC altered the look of Fighting American just as we had altered the look of Fighting American. But it went more than that. The issue of the shield and keeping the shield was so important to us. And what I'm going to tell you is, when they presented to me, and when I mean they, I mean Eric Stevenson, Matt Hawkins, and basically the designer of this folder, Jeff Loeb, I, my mouth hit the floor. I was doing the work. I was running the company. We did more than just Fighting American. But this was something that these guys did on their business hours in the offices of Awesome. Jeff Lowe presents to me this thick, I want to say 40 color page, spiral bound uh, uh, presentation folder that we are going to hand multiple copies out in the course of this one shot hearing where we get to determine whether we can publish Fighting American as we have envisioned Fighting American and counter Marvel's lawsuit and keep the shield. There is every patriotic character ever published in the history of comics in this folder. From the aforementioned shield the S.H.I.E.L.D. character that was published by Archie to um, Marvel's Captain America to Wonder Woman and recent shots of Wonder Woman as depicted by George Perez with a, um, a, a, a patriotic shield. Uh, they had the Guardian, a character, a prominent character with a shield at DC Comics drawn by, again by Jack Kirby. Jack Kirby loved these characters. He loved these shields. They had Marvel's further uh, uh, patriotic characters. They, they had the Patriot um, they had Lady Liberty. They had Uncle Sam from uh, from DC Comics. They had uh, all all sorts of um, uh, patriotic characters and characters who wielded shields on these pages. 
um, characters from All-Star Squadron. Steel, his char- the, the character of Steel from DC Comics, who launched with his own book, then later went on to be featured in All-Star Squadron and the Justice Society. His red, white, and blue costume with a star in the center. Um, again, every character who had ever wielded a shield, every character who wore a flag. They had Marvel's own U.S. agent. They had Super Patriot. They had Patriot from Eric Larson and Image Comics, both incarnations. We walloped them. This folder was magnificent. Female and male characters, all who dressed in patriotic garb, traditional patriotic garb that, as great as Captain America is, he does not co-opt the American flag and our patriotic symbols uh, that, that, that were at the birth of this country and have developed over time. And, 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 and while, while Captain America had a shield and stripes, he does not own those exclusively. We go in there with this amazing folder. All I just kept turning the page. This character, I forgot about this character. I mean, Steel, not the Shaquille O'Neal Steel. There is a character called Steel. He would join the Justice League. I forgot that a version of him would join the Justice League. Okay, you guys, this um, th- 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 there were just amazing depictions throughout of, of all of these patriotic characters. And our attorneys go and we make our best arguments that, in fact... Fighting American is not a creation of Rob Liefeld. It is a creation of the guys who made Captain America, was published by Marvel, and that a character with a shield is also not something solely uh, owned or identified with Captain America, showing characters with shields from all manner of characters, uh, of, of publications and, and, and companies. And again, the character of the shield kind of reinforces that. It's like, hi, here's Archie Comics. They have a say in this matter. He actually predates Captain America. So we were successful. The judge, his name was Judge Bear. He heard the arguments and he said he would give a, a, a ruling in a few days. Now guys, I'm not going to lie to you. This was something I wanted so bad. I wanted so bad for so many reasons. I don't want to redraw those pages and I don't want to give Marvel a victory. I don't want that they, I feel like they should have just let me alone, do my thing, let me have my fun. It doesn't harm anything. They have Squadron Supreme. They have Imperial Guard. They have all manner of characters that I'm not even, you know, touching on, but echoes upon echoes. And uh, and so, so the time comes, and the day that the judgment is going to be given down, I am home. I remember my wife is visiting her relatives in Washington, and I mean, I am like, man, because this decision is going to be everything. I mean, this will give... Um, Marvel such a blow on any level to stop me from publishing Fighting American and or from preventing me from using the shield. So the judge announces his ruling. We are going forward. We are publishing Fighting American. We are in fact keeping him intact with the shield. Then the Marvel Council decides to kind of call out, well, we want we want something established here. We want it um presented and put forth and uh, the, the, they basically agree with the judge. They, they, what are you going to do? Disagree? Judge Bear. Judge Bear. I just, I'll never forget that name. Judge Bear. Judge Bear said, we're going forward on both counts. They said, well, well, we want it at least that he can't throw the shield because that's personal to Captain America. Well, that's fine. We, we didn't have him throwing the shield, okay? At no point did we have him throwing the shield. Uh, and so that was kind of like a shrug and aftermath. Uh, who cares? We were here to decide the fate of whether this book could get published at all. 
and whether he could show his shield. Again, our shield, in case you notice, our, our Fighting American shield was silver and with a symbol in the center. There was no, we didn't have red, white, and red, red and white stripes. It was just a shield, a circular shield, like most shields you've seen in comics. There was a Wonder Woman shield that she was using in a DC crossover and in all the um, Wonder Woman comics that the great George Perez depicted her in. That actually was a red, white, and blue and silver shield. We got the shield, we got to publish, and they kind of got to say, and, and, and we don't want them to throw it. Um, okay, well, we, we didn't have him throwing it anyway, so I guess you're, we're, we're, we're going to agree that what we're not doing, we will continue not to do. So we move forward. We get the book that has been at the printer to the distributor. It's out for a fall release. The book does great. It sells out. Um, people dig it. They are learning about Fighting American, and if anything, all of this um, only increased the heat on Fighting American. In a, in a world without social media, with just those dial-up CompuServe message boards, the... That's how your computer connected with message boards. It was awful. It was tough to hear. This isn't Instagram, Twitter, Facebook friendly. This isn't MySpace way before all this, okay? So, Fighting American Lives to Fight. It is a success. My work sees print. Stephen Platt's um, work sees print. The great thing that Jeff Loeb turned and told me is, hey, hey, pal, we won't, we won't throw the shield, but uh, what do you say if we, uh, we got all sorts of stuff coming out of the shield, like missiles, like missiles. I'm like, Jeff, you read my mind, buddy. Blades, all of it. And in fact, our Fighting American goes on to have missiles fired out of his shield and blades and all manner of trickery. We made that thing as gadget-ridden as any car that James Bond drove. It was a blast. Ed McGinnis comes on with Jeff Loeb to do a three-issue miniseries. And Ed had been blowing it up, launching the regular series for my character Deadpool over at, uh, at Marvel. And trust me, I'm like, wow. So Ed doing Deadpool is giving me a great royalty yield from Marvel at the time. So I'm going to take him away from that, make him this offer, and he's going to come and do Fighting American for me. So I guess that's a decent trade, but um, that is why Ed did not last as long on Deadpool as you had maybe hoped. Um, Jeff was a great friend of his. We put a great financial offer in front of him. We enticed him to cross the street. Ed knocked it out of the park. Those issues of Fighting American Rules of the Game is the name of the miniseries that he did. Uh, Spice is fantastic. No female cyborg has ever looked better. We actually did updates of some of the Kirby and Simon villains, Invisible Irving. Um, uh, Those were some really fun, really great comics. Jeff and Ed were clicking. Awesome Comics was now our, our, our kind of our big launch book. And it was our big launch book because our biggest, ta- our biggest talent was associated with it. It was free. It was able to get to your hands. You could enjoy it. It was so much, it was so much fun. Later, Jim Starlin would come on. Jim Starlin, the Mr. Thanos. You know him as Mr. Thanos. I know him as Captain Marvel, Adam Warlock, the Avengers, all the great comics, Dreadstar. Jim Starlin came on and he had the most amazing yarn and he did a series with Stephen Platt called Dogs of War. And in it, we finally get to revisit Speed Boy, who we haven't discussed whatsoever. And in Fighting American, he is being haunted 
by a rogue agent who kind of keeps cutting him off at every pass. And we are in a uh, in, in a battle with some Japanese agents and some uh, some some espionage. And this character, uh, all darkly clad, is is very very counterproductive. In, in fact, is is opposing fighting American. And you really don't know what side he's working on. But he's getting in his way. He's thwarting him. He's fighting him. He's defeating him. He's completely throwing a wrench into all of Fighting American's plans and clearly has anger and issues with Fighting American only to be revealed that this is in fact the adult speed boy. This is, this is in 1998, kids. 1998, I published these books. The adult speed boy, drawn by Stephen Platt, written by Jim Starlin, two mega hot, red, scorching fan favorites. The reason you can't find these books and they don't exist is because they sold out, they disappeared from the shelves, but they're out there if you can find them. Dogs of War introduces the adult speed boy as an agent opposed to America, to fighting American, to the United States intelligence community. He is a counter agent. We discover that he is in fact speed boy who has grown up, that speed boy who fighting American believed was dead had been co-opted as a dark counter agent, mind wiped, and 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 now freshly uh, in pursuit and in objectivity to everything Fighting American is doing. Yes, this is the Winter Soldier. About eight years before you're going to encounter the Winter Soldier, so many people have asked me, "Do you believe that this influenced Winter Soldier?" And I ask you to read Dogs of War and ask me how it doesn't. Okay, you have a patriotic character. Are Echo, Simon and Kirby's Echo of Captain America, and the Echo of Speed Boy, who looked more like Bucky than Fighting American looked like Captain America. And we published an original tale, an original yarn, which brought Speed Boy into adulthood and made him a lethal uh, agent, assassin, uh, counterproductive to Fighting American. And those books are great, and you should seek them out because they were more than just great books. They clearly uh, light, lit a path for everything that you would go on and see in in, in Captain America. Um, that That is, I don't know how that can't be your opinion. The dates don't matter so much on this show. I will bring you the dates, the receipts. 1998 cannot be turned into 2005, 2006, okay? That will always be eight years prior, okay? When I read these letters and these statements and the receipts, they are what they are. Draw your own conclusions. What I have just shared for you is my strong opinion based on how popular this work was, that uh, Starlin and uh, Stephen Platt produced this amazing, I mean, the art in this book is amazing. Uh, and, and, and the adult Speed Boy has all sorts of complete and total uh, parallels to what you would eventually see with Winter Soldier, except he doesn't have Winter Soldier's cable arm, okay? So uh, you should seek those out. They're, they're wonderful. Eventually, when we compile this, and you'll get all of this together, um, you will be thrilled. You will be thrilled. I really believe that this is something that we are going to make happen. It could be another 10 years, but do I believe it's going to happen? I do. My 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 uh, my excitement over Fighting American extended to the fact that we, we decided that we would make action figures. I was slightly enamored with everything that was going on in the toy market because now it was beyond Todd McFarlane and his magnificent toys. So many of the people who had sculpted toys for Todd McFarlane were starting to make their own toys. And uh, I think Randy Bowen and some other people, they were all making their own 
action figure lines. So I decided to investigate how much does it cost to get a sculpt to manufacture. We packed it with a Korean manufacturer. We hired our own sculptors that sculpted in Southern California. And we were kind of, every action figure we did, we were into for about $35,000. And the profit margins were always um, at least double that between 60, 80,000 in return. You just had to invest about 35,000 into the sculpting and the manufacturing, packaging, and shipping of these characters. We did a, we did a, uh, a Silver Age, a, 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 a reflection of Fighting American with the yellow in the costume based on uh, Jack Kirby's original design. And then we did mine. Uh, both of them came with the shield. And we put those out in 1998, and they were tremendously well-received. We had a profit action figure and a shaft action figure from Youngblood. So all in all, we did three action figures. Fighting American, I think, came out the best. The packaging on that looks the best. We hired Comic Craft, Richard Starkings, and his wicked design abilities to contribute and make these killer um, uh, action figures. But as, but as um, with all things, uh, they come to an end. And my license with Fighting American ended. I informed Joe Simon that I could not uh, afford to continue, but I thanked him for the great work that we did together. You saw Jeff Loeb, Ed McGinnis, Stephen Platt, Jim Starlin, and Rob Liefeld give it their all. I love these books. I love the history they represent. I am so sad and sorry that Marvel decided to make it a legal issue. I am so excited that we prevailed, okay? That we were able to get you those books. Um, people who have listened to the first episode, I love that I can respond to this stuff in real time. It's like taking calls. You know, people are like, oh, but you couldn't throw the shield. We were never throwing the shield, ladies and gentlemen. The, 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 the objective that Marvel was seeking was that we not have a shield at all. But again, Wizard Magazine wrote a little blurb down on the lower left side of a page a month after this that said, Marvel wins victory. Fighting American cannot throw his shield. That, my friends, is dishonesty at its um, most blatant. Had there been social media, they wouldn't have run that because they know that I could jump on to my um, followers and my reach and tell you that that is not, in fact, what happened. And I can discount that and disprove that immediately. Nowadays, websites, when they print something and it's wrong, they immediately act to retract or they say, oh, we didn't, you know, that quote was out of context. Wizard Magazine knew they had the microphone at this time and they put out a complete misnomer that unfortunately told you how to think um, about certain matters that you weren't completely educated on. My encouragement to you throughout this observation is to seek out the history that I'm sharing with you. Walk through those comic pages the same way I did. There are better comics out there for you from the Bronze Era than anything that my peer group and I have produced or that is being produced today. So let me reinforce that anything better than my peer group and I, so I'm lumping myself in there, or um, is being produced today, go through those back issue bins. Um, get as much as you can. Get those trades. The, 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 the cheapy buy-in books that Marvel and DC do, the true believers of the $1.50, the $3 reprints, those are worth picking up. Those are great stories. You're getting some of the best stuff that any of us ever put out. They've, they've done my stuff and Todd's stuff. And they're doing Mark Silvestri stuff and Eric Larson stuff. This is great, great stuff. You guys should absolutely seek this out. Um, I, I just hope a cheaper, maybe uh, a way to interact with Fighting American will be out soon enough for you guys to check out these Kirby, these Kirby issues that I rave over. And eventually, hopefully one day, we'll get a collection of this stuff ourselves. This is the aftermath of everything that was started with Heroes Reborn. Again, I, I, it is not lost on me that in 1996, I was the patriotic face of Captain America at San Diego, the dedicated convention t-shirt and 
and program guide. And one year later, I am being sued, preventing me uh, in an attempt to prevent me from producing this beautiful work that I'm so passionate about with my co-conspirators, Stephen Platt and Joseph Loeb and McGinnis and all the others. Uh, but I'm glad we prevailed. I'm glad those comics got to you. It was always kind of a weak stance to take. Uh, Jeff Loeb and that folder, I will never forget it. I will never forget uh, because they took Marvel Universe handbook entries. They took Who's Who. Marvel Universe and Who's Who were two kind of fact file comics that had gone over huge from both Marvel and DC, released roughly in the same time. Marvel did theirs first. Um, that got to the hands of fans, that gave you height, weight, a great illustration or illustrations of the characters. Sometimes there was turnarounds. Jeff and the staff gave multiple turnarounds, multiple entries, whether it was Who's Who from DC or Marvel Universe Handbook from Marvel, and whether it was you know shots of the shield from Archie Comics, um, and just built out this magnificent uh, folder representation that I absolutely believe won the day for us. If we don't have those visuals, as you all know, visuals matter so much. I mean, comic books is a visual medium. If it's all talking heads, why is it a comic book? It should be a novel. We are here to rock and sock you. Jack Kirby, I create entire worlds, in quotes, I create entire worlds on my paper with unlimited budgets because my imagination has an unlimited budget. That is Jack Kirby. That is what comics are about. That is what these visuals exist for. Um, those visuals, that that folder that Jeff Loeb assembled, won the day for us. More than any argument we could make, those visuals won the day. I am forever grateful. Jeff, also a lifetime baller, just like um, John Hyde for putting Matt Hawkins on that flight and getting that um, legal team to counteract Marvel's attempt to quickly dismiss us and have us put in the trash. And, and give us a hole that we would uh, be climbing out of months, months later. You would never have gotten Fighting American in the fall of 1997 after um, Marvel sought to seek the temporary restraining order, citing myself as the creator of this ripoff character, Fighting American. You guys, I love doing this with you guys. I love telling these stories. I hope they not only entertain, they enlighten. I hope they turn you to buying comics and seeking out comics. Go look at all those patriotic characters. Don't start stop at Fighting American. Look at Archie's The Shield. Look at Jack Kirby's The Guardian. Um, look at All-Star Squadron. Look at Steel. Look at all these cool, cool, cool characters. Um, really good stuff in there. You will thank me when you're done because comic books are the best and we can't interact with them enough. You know it. I know it. My mom knows it. Believe me. Believe me. My mom knows it. Guys, way to finish the week and an episode great talking with you guys. You never know what's going to come next. Thank you for visiting with me on this podcast. Thank you for hanging with me. I am on Twitter at Robert Liefeld. Full name R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D with the blue check mark that says I'm the real guy, not the fake Robs that they post with the cross eyes, okay? I got the blue check mark. I'm Robert Liefeld at Twitter. At Robert Liefeld on Twitter. On Instagram, I am at Rob Liefeld, R-O-B-L-I-E-F-E-L-D. Got the blue check mark. Again, not the cross-eyed accounts that they try and put out there or with the weird teeth. Thank you so much for following me. Check me out. Talk to me online. Please subscribe to Rob Observations. Recommend it to a friend. Have the very best uh, time uh, until we get together again. Do me a favor. Take care of yourself. Stay safe, and we will talk again soon.